they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Well, welcome to Bible with the Barbers, and uh, Terry's not able to be here today, but I'm here, and we're going to do a little scripture reading, and uh, we just, um, it's a noon, we begin at noon here, and so we remember that uh, the Lord became incarnate, you know, three times a day we can pray the Angelus, the angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived by the Holy Spirit, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O most holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son, was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ, our Lord. Amen. So we're going to start here with the gospel reading for the day. Today is the, um, this week, this is the 11th week in ordinary time. We call it ordinary time. Um, And the gospel is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. And this is on love of enemy. And what did Jesus say? You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, What reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you salute only your brethren, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus is telling us, that our love has to go beyond anything that has been known in the world up until that time. You know, in the, in the Old Testament, when Moses, when they came into the Holy Land and Moses led the people, he didn't lead them into the Holy Land directly. He led them to the Holy Land and then he wasn't able to come in because he had, he'd made it, he had failed a couple of times. He'd fallen a couple of times on the way and, and um, hadn't trusted the Lord fully. And so Joshua was the one who was to lead them in. And the Israelites were to destroy the people in the Holy Land. Now, that was not, that didn't mean that God for all times and everywhere and and always wanted us to kill our enemies. No, that wasn't the point. That was God's judgment on the people of the land. If you go back and read the Old Testament, the people, 
Israel would be in exile in Egypt until the Canaanites had filled up the full cup of God's wrath by their sins. So God only allows us so many sins before he says, you know what, you're done. I'm not going to let you sin anymore. And God is the author of life. And he didn't make death, but he is the one who gives life and he keeps us alive at every moment. And no one, you know, can die without God's permission. It wasn't his direct, deliberate will, his will. It was we should live forever with him and be in union with him. But we sinned. And so we gave up immortality that immortality of the body and our bodies will die. We do have immortality of the soul and our souls will rise from the dead. And when they rise, we will have a resurrected body, which will be different than the body that we have now. But sin and death came into the world as an intrusion and God punishes sin. And yes, he punishes sin. Sin is offensive. It offends God and it destroys us when we sin. And so when the Israelites came out of Egypt and they came into the Holy Land, they were supposed to destroy the people who were there because the people were there were living in idolatry and they were sinning against God. And they would have led the Israelites into sin. As a matter of fact, the Israelites don't destroy the people who are there and they are led into the same sins. And they start worshiping the false gods of the people who are living in the land. But Jesus is telling us now Now that he has come, that provision in the old law where Israel had to fight wars against her enemies, no, that's gone. Now you will love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. And so this is what we need to learn to do. You know, when people pick on us and and tell lies about us and make life tough for us, we're supposed to say, okay, Lord, I acknowledge the injustice and I acknowledge the emotion of anger that arises because of injustice. But how do you want me to turn this to, to good, to the building up of your kingdom, Lord, to the glory of your name, and, and to make me draw closer to you in love? You see, when we're down and out and people are picking on us, and then we know we can't rely on ourselves, and we have to rely on God. Yeah, that's a good place to be, actually. When we get to that point where we realize, I can't rely on myself anymore. <laughs> I need someone else's help. And believe me, there is no one more powerful than God. No one. Everyone else, everything else, those are all, you know, Satan, the, the, the governments of the world. We're all creatures. We're all creatures of God. There's only one God. And he is a trinity of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus revealed. Jesus revealed that God is a father because Jesus revealed himself as the son. And the father and the son have that personal love that exists between them, the Holy Spirit, who is a person, a real person. And the Father is not the Son and the Spirit, and the Son is not the Father and the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father and the Son. You should look up the Athanasian Creed and read it. It's quite a bit longer than either the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed, but it is an early expression of the faith, and it was given in answer to the Arian heresy, which is very much alive in our world, so um, alive and deceiving people like it did thousands of years ago, a couple thousand years ago. So go ahead and look up almost 2000 years ago, not quite. Um, look up the Athanasian Creed and read it, read it. It was interesting because at the ordinate mass, um, last Sunday was Trinity Sunday. They prayed the Athanasian Creed rather than the Apostles' Creed. And if anyone has the Roman Missal, the Athanasian Creed is in the back of it. Uh, you can look it up. You can look it up online too. 
So what's the point here? We have to love our enemies and we're supposed to love as God loves. You know, God didn't wait for us to repent and turn to us. As soon as Adam and Eve sinned, God promised that he would send a savior. And Adam and Eve didn't even say they were sorry. Adam blamed Eve or essentially blamed God because it was the woman you put here with me. And Eve passed the buck and she blamed the serpent. Well, he tricked me. But neither of them took responsibility for their actions. And yet God forgave them. Yes, he said, now you will suffer. And that suffering wasn't the punishment. That was the result of what you have done. I gave you gifts that were above and beyond your nature. And because of your sin, you've lost those. So now you're going to suffer. You're going to get sick. You're going to die. You're going to have to work hard. Women will have bring their children forth in, in pain, in, in childbearing. There's, it's labor. It's hard work, you know. <laughs> and, and, but it's all good because even though suffering and death and hard work and all that came as an intrusion, it's good. It dignifies the human person when we offer all of those things to God. And so we're supposed to love. You know, if I just love the people in my family or the people who treat me nice, hey, you know, people who don't know God treat people nice who treat them nice. That's, that's nothing. It's when I love my enemies, and this is what sets Christianity apart from all the other religions in the world. Forgive your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. This is really the thing that sets us apart from everyone. Because in all other religions, you know, there's a certain amount of, you know, like karma. Oh, yeah, you do bad, you're gonna, it's going to come back to you, you know, and I'm going to see to it that it comes back to you because I'm going to get revenge on you. And how many pe- religions and people believe this, that I can have a vendetta? And we as Christians need to say no. Even if someone has done the most incredible injustice against me, someone's taken all my money, someone has taken away my ability to work. You know what, Lord? You have a greater plan for me. And I turn to you, Lord, in prayer, and I ask you to show me. Number one, I don't consent to the sin of anger, and I make the act of the will to forgive the person who has injured me. That doesn't mean I don't have to acknowledge the injury. That doesn't mean I should ignore the injury, and that doesn't mean that I should let that person continue to injure me. If someone is doing you harm, you need to try and protect yourself, but don't seek revenge. Make sure that whatever you do, in whatever you do, you're not seeking revenge. As a matter of fact, we should be seeking the conversion of the people who hurt us. They actually do us great good because they give us opportunities to grow in grace, to forget ourselves, to humble ourselves, to acknowledge our absolute dependence on God and our need for God, and then to grow in holiness and, and grace, to become like God. We're supposed to be perfect, Jesus says in verse 48, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. We can't do that ourselves. Only God can perfect us in grace and mercy. So God brings us to himself. He draws us close to himself. He wants us to know him as our very dear father, and he wants us to behave like him as his very dear children. And so we want to be like God. He causes the rain to fall on the good and the bad. He causes the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. You know, God is good. He is always good. There's only goodness in God. He didn't make evil. He didn't make sin. He didn't make death. So that music is playing. So that's the gospel of today. And then we'll go on to the Acts of the Apostles. If you have a question, 888-526-2151. If you can make a donation, call at 877-526-2151. And we'll be back in a few minutes. And we'll be looking at the Acts of the Apostles here. Thank you for joining us. 
buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites The Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow, that's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US-1. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Well, welcome back. And Terry's not with me today here on the, on the radio, but uh, he's with me in spirit. <laughs> Virgin Most Powerful, please pray for us. So, last week we looked at Acts 4, and in Acts 4 we had that beautiful prayer, and I just want to remind you of it. Uh, when after Peter and John were told by the Sanhedrin not to preach the name of Jesus anymore, and they go back to the Christian community, and they pray this beautiful prayer. It starts in verse 25 and goes through verse 30, and you can read that. We, did, we talked about it last week. And then at the end of chapter 4, we have them talking about the early Christian community and how they everybody lived together, and nobody possessed anything of their own. They gave what they had to the, to the disciples, and it was distributed, and so everybody had their needs met. And this was not forced communism, okay? And this isn't the welfare state. This is everybody freely gave according to their means. And they weren't required to give, but they could. And one of the people who gives, and I know we talked about this last week, because last week was the Feast of St. Barnabas. And in verse 38, it says, Thus Joseph, who was surnamed by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field which belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the feet of the apostles. So this voluntary generosity, looking out for the needs of others, looking in the community, what are the needs? Now, we have chapter 5, and it's interesting because in chapter 5 you have something, well, um, the opposite of what Barnabas did. Barnabas, in his generosity, sells a piece of land and gives all the proceeds to the apostles. All right. And Barnabas, by the way, is that he's the one who will go and get Saul, Paul, and bring him and introduce him to the Christian community and then bring him, um, go on his first missionary journey with him. And so Barnabas was a great, a great man for spreading the gospel. He was, he spread the gospel. But we have this story of Ananias and Sapphira in the beginning of chapter five. And Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of property. And they made an agreement that they would give some of the proceeds to the church, but they wouldn't give everything. And this was an agreement that they made between them. Um, and so he brings it to Peter. He brings these proceeds. Only he's acting like, I'm giving you everything that I sold the property for. And Peter looks at him and he said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? How is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down dead. He died right there. <laughs> and St. Augustine's commentary on it is, God punished him with physical death, but not necessarily eternal death. 
But the reality is, is it was this was the beginning of a very bad precedent that I'm going to try and deceive. And Peter said, you're not, de- you're not deceiving the church even. You're deceiving the Holy Spirit. You're trying to deceive God. And the deal was, Peter tells him, it, it was yours. You didn't have to sell it. And even when you did sell it, the money was yours. But don't pretend like you're giving everything when you haven't. And the commentary in the Navarre Bible commentary mentions hypocrisy. God loathes hypocrisy. Well, why? Because hypocrisy is lying. And, and, you know, lying isn't necessarily just telling lies about other people. It's telling as true what you know to be false or telling as false what you know to be true. But who are you, who are you, um, who are you losing integrity against? Yourself. Because you know the truth and your mouth is speaking something else and you're representing a lie as if it were true. So the, it destroys your integrity as a human being. So those of us who have this problem of lying, we need to give it up. Because any lie, anytime we try and deceive another human being, no matter what it's about, that attacks our own integrity. So lying is a very bad thing. And God loathes hypocrisy. God is truth. God is love. God is truth. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So there's no place for any lie in God. And if we want to live in union with God, we need to weed out the lies. Again, are we going to do this on our own? God will help us ask for God's help. Lord, I want to tell the truth, but man, when push comes to shove, if I'm embarrassed or if I'm going to get in trouble or what if it's going to make me look bad, I can't quite get the true words out. So help me. Help me to either keep silent or to tell the truth, even if it means a negative consequence. Help me to tell the truth. So I have an addiction. Face it. You know, I drink too much. Face it. As long as I lie to myself and say, oh, well, you know, just because I drank a six pack of beer or a 12 pack of beer, I drank it over the course of four hours. So that wasn't getting drunk. No, that's not temperance. And it's against, it's, it's sinning against my own body and it's, it's affecting me and I'm not being honest about it. You know, whatever it is, you know, I eat too much chocolate. So don't buy chocolate. Don't bring it into the house, you know? Yeah. Little things. There are little things that we can do to avoid the near occasion of sin, but we have to be honest about the sin. When we go to confession like that, Ananias and Sapphira, they're trying to deceive the Holy Spirit. They're lying about what they did. And no, Peter says you're lying to God. And that's what we do when we can't face when we don't face our sins. You know, if you're gonna if you have a sin that you're really ashamed of, write it down on a piece of paper and take a flashlight with you if it's dark in the confessional and read it to father and just say, father, I'm going to read this to you and always say the things you're most ashamed of and the things that are hardest to say first. And the most that are that those that are most grievous say those first. (laughs) We don't have to confess venial sins in confession. We only have to confess mortal sins, but if we don't confess the venial sins, sin becomes a habit on the soul and it begins to whittle away at our will. And it begins to darken our intellect so that we can't see the truth. And our will gets weakened and we start to make worse choices. And it will, not that any number of venial sins will ever add up to a mortal sin, but if we don't weed venial sins out of our life, we will find that it's much easier to commit a mortal sin. So what happens here? Well, Ananias's wife wasn't with him when he brought the money to Peter. So about three hours after they buried him, 
um, or took him out to bury him. It took a while to dig the hole and bury him. Sapphira comes in. And so Peter says um, to her, tell me whether you sold the, the land for this much. So he tells her how much her husband gave her, gave him, excuse me. The husband had given the money to Peter. Is this how much you sold the land for? And Sapphira says, yes, that's correct. And he said, how is it that you have agreed together to tempt the spirit of the Lord? Hark, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. And she fell down at his feet and died. So Peter gave her a chance to say, well, actually, no, we didn't sell it for that, you know. But she didn't. She had agreed with her husband that this is what they were going to do. And so she thought all things were copacetic and it was all good. She had no idea her husband was dead. And she had no idea what punishment God was going to inflict on her. Peter didn't kill her. The Holy Spirit struck her dead. Now, remember, this is the early church. The church is just beginning to grow. And so God gave some real um, um, stark examples of how we need to behave. He, he didn't play around, and, and people had punishment or, or great reward almost immediately. Now, it doesn't always happen that way now, but we still have to be diligent in following the Lord and be faithful. So she died, and you know a great fear came upon the whole church and on all who heard these things. So yeah, and, and it's an awe and a reverence. It's like Peter, what Peter is saying is, remember, God sees everything. He already knows everything. So don't try and deceive him. You can't deceive him, first of all. He already knows everything. And when you deceive him, you're actually degrading yourself because you're, you're tearing away at your own integrity. Although we lost the gift, the supernatural, the preternatural, preternatural gift of integrity with original sin. Nonetheless, God can restore us to integrity by helping us to overcome sin through his grace. And when we give up sin, we find integrity in our life. Because it's sin that makes us want to hide from God. And when we give up the sin and turn to the Lord and confess our sins frequently and regularly, we should be making examinations of conscience every single day. Then we regain some integrity. And we should pray for the grace of integrity every day. Pray for the grace of final perseverance every day. Pray for the grace to be honest and humble before the Lord. Most of all, to be honest and humble enough to admit our weaknesses And to realize, I don't have to be strong. I don't have to be powerful. I don't have to be rich or famous. I don't have to make a lot of money, and I don't need to have a lot of material things. I need God. You know, let nothing affright thee. Let nothing disturb thee. All things pass. Only God remains changeless. Patience attains all that it strives for. Who possesses God lacks nothing. God alone is sufficient. Teresa of Avila. That was her little bookmark, you know, to remind her, God alone is sufficient. So as the church is growing, God is working many signs and wonders among the people. And um, the, the, the early Christians would meet in Solomon's portico there in the temple, and the others didn't dare to join them, but they held them in honor. It's not that they were afraid of them, that they would hurt them, but they were, they were amazed at the generosity, the kindness, the love that poured out from this small community. And they may also have been afraid to, to meet with them because, you know, the apostles had already been arrested and um, reprimanded by the Sanhedrin that they weren't supposed to speak in Jesus' name. So it's like, well, they're meeting here in Solomon's portico, but 
you know, the leaders don't want them here, but look at how lovely they are, how, how beautiful and good and generous and loving they are. So many, many people were added and they also were great signs and wonders were being worked through the apostles. And it says here in verse 15 of chapter five, so they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and pallets that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The very shadow of Peter falling on people would cause them to be cured. God was working great signs and wonders. Are we asking the Lord to do this? Are we asking the Lord to stir up his spirit within us and pour out his Holy Spirit and show again his power that he has overcome the world? That we don't have to be afraid of sickness and death. And he didn't come to eradicate human suffering. But remember for the Jews, that suffering was a sign that the the people were sinners. So by curing them, God is saying, I have the power to forgive sins. And that's what he came to do. He came to free us from the power of sin, to raise us up to union with himself. All right. So they brought the the, the sick and the afflicted and those with unclean spirits, and they were healed. Many people were healed. And by these great signs and wonders, People were amazed, and, and, but again, always the apostles are pointing to Jesus. It's in the name of Jesus that this man was healed. It's in the name of Jesus that these works are being done. So I hear that music again, and we'll be back in a few minutes with more of Acts of the Apostles, Chapter 5. Um, this weekend, there's the Southern California Home Educators Conference at St. John the Baptist Parish in Costa Mesa. Terry and I will be speaking there. And there's a Marian Conference in Whittier at St. Gregory the Great, and I'll be speaking there. So thank you for joining us here on Bible with the Barbers, and we'll be back in just a few minutes.
buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites The Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow, that's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US-1. This is Jesse Romero. You're listening to Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Thank you, Jesse. So here we are. And we talked about the growth of the church and the signs and wonders that were being worked. And then in in, um, verse 17, well, what happens? What happens when you get to be real successful? People tend to get jealous, don't they? It's one of the reasons you shouldn't parade around your successes. It does tend to bring attention to yourself and um, cause jealousy. But the deal here is that the apostles are preaching in Jesus' name, and they're working miracles in Jesus' name. And so the high priests and those who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, they're filled with jealousy. And so they arrest the apostles and they put them in the common jail. Now, the angel of the Lord comes at night and releases them from the jail. And so in the morning, they're back inside the temple preaching. But the, the council thinks that they're in the jail. So they send the guard, the temple guard, to go to the jail to get them. And the guards come back and they say, the jail is locked, the guards are in their place, and they're not there. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. And the Sanhedrin and the temple, the, the captain of the guard are perplexed. And then someone comes in and says, well, wait a minute. Those men that you arrested last night, they're, they're out in the temple teaching the people. So the captain and his officers go off and they arrest him and they, but without violence. I mean, you know, and, and Peter, they're, they're not going to fight it. You know, they're, they're ready, you know, to accept persecution for the sake of the, of the name. So <clears throat> they bring them in before the council. And of course, the we strictly told you not to speak in that man's name. And here you are, you intend to bring that man's blood upon us as you fill Jerusalem with your teaching. Well, excuse me. You're the ones who said to Pilate, let his blood be on us and on our children. We don't bring his blood on you. You brought it on you. But if you accept him, then it's on you for salvation. It's redemptive. It's not condemnation. So don't reject him. Accept him and then be saved. Accept him as the Messiah. And again, Peter tells him what he told him before. We have to obey God rather than men. And he tells him, you know, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as our leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Now, this made the Sanhedrin very angry. You know, that, that's, that's not, they don't fully, they don't understand the Holy Spirit and they don't know who he is. And they certainly don't want to believe that Jesus is the Savior. And, you know, this whole forgiveness of sin things. Well, remember, um, this, this, the, the leaders of the people had this tendency to write laws that were, they made up and then do away with God's law. So what was the, the deal about the fourth commandment? Honor your father and your mother. And, and yet the leaders of the people, and Jesus said this, and when Jesus was alive, he tells them, 
you know, you dismiss the law of God and replace it with the law of men. And how did they do that? Well, you say that if a man has money and he says, everything I have is dedicated to the temple, then you excuse him from taking care of his parents. But the fourth commandment says, honor your father and mother. So you've taken the law of men and replaced God's law with the law of men. So when we're repenting, we're preaching repentance, and that's what that's what sin is. It's when we take God's law and ignore it and replace it with our law. Oh yeah, the sixth commandment says, "Thou shalt not commit adultery." Oh, but God understands that we're weak and we're we're you know human, and oh, He just understands that I can't live without a woman, and I can't live with the first woman I married because she's just so horrible, or vice versa, you know, the husband or whatever. Or, oh, God understands, you know, that I'm busy and I really don't have time to go to Mass on Sunday. And Jesus doesn't care. It's not, oh, really? He died so that because he doesn't care? That's what he poured out his life? You know, when we go to Mass on Sunday, do you realize we're going to the wedding feast of the Lamb? It's a wedding feast. Are we dressing as if we're going to a wedding feast? And I don't mean modern weddings where most people take off a lot of their clothing. I mean a dignified wedding where people dress like royalty because that's what we are. This is a king's feast, the king of heaven. It's the wedding feast of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ the King. So this just isn't any wedding feast. We should be dressed and adorned as if going to see a king, because we are. Jesus Christ is the king, and he's the king of the universe, the king of earth and of heaven. And it's his wedding feast that we're going to. And we... Sometimes, you know, we, yeah, the, keep holy the Sabbath day, which is the Lord's day, which is now Sunday because Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday. Keep holy the Sabbath day, keep holy the Lord's day. But instead of keeping it holy, it's like, okay, well, um, I'm going to the beach. So I'm going to go to church dressed like I'm going to the beach and I'm going to slip in there just as mass begins or maybe a minute before, but maybe even a couple minutes after. And I will slip out right after the last blessing or even maybe a little before the last blessing if I'm really antsy. People, God is God and we are not. We need to give God his due. He asks for one day out of the week and we're supposed to give him the whole day. We aren't just supposed to pursue our own um, self-indulgence on Sunday. That's not what it's about. It's a day of rest, but a day of entering into rest, the rest of the Lord, entering into union and communion with the Lord, to spend a day in union with him. That's why we can visit the sick, spend time with family, but not in just wearing ourselves out, running all over the place or going to Disneyland or, you know, not that that's that's a bad thing necessarily. Um, It's not evil in and of itself, but you know what? We don't need to be entertained all the time. And we certainly don't need to go to Disneyland five or six times a year. You know, some people have never been to Disneyland. And they've lived a very happy life. And some people have only been to Disneyland rarely. And they've lived a very happy life. Because it is God who is the source of our happiness. So we need to make sure we're not eliminating God's laws. And here's the deal. Repentance. Repent of our sins. What is sin? All wrongdoing is sin. Read the Ten Commandments. The Seven Capital Sins. Pride, anger, sloth, gluttony, lust, greed, and envy. We need to examine ourselves on these things every day. Examine ourselves on the Ten Commandments. We're also supposed to be giving to the support of the church. Are we doing that? 
And we're supposed to also pray for the Holy Father and our priests and our bishops and sacrifice for them. So we examine ourselves on these things, and we're all in need of repentance. Jesus said the just man falls seven times a day. The just man falls seven times a day. The just man falls seven times a day. So all of us out here who think we don't need to repent, uh, we better take a second look and ask the Lord to open our eyes, the eyes of our minds and our hearts, to know what sin is. Return to us, O Lord, a sense of sin and the sensitivity of the saints so that we understand what sin is, how offensive it is to you, and that we need to repent. That's what the apostles were preaching, repentance, but in Jesus' holy name. And then they were working miracles. So, and, and the, the Sanhedrin here is, they're infuriated. They want to kill these men. But there was a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel. Now, Gamaliel was a teacher of the law, and he was very honored among the people. And he said, put those men out. And then he addresses the council, and he says, look, we've had people get up before and claim to be people of importance or claim to be messiahs or claim to be the savior, and they gather a little following, and then they get arrested and they die, and the whole thing dissipates. So I would advise you that with these men, you leave them alone. Because if what they're doing is originated with men, if it comes from men, it will dissipate just like the other movements have. All by itself, you don't have to do anything. But if it's from God, if these men are really doing the work of God, you are not going to be able to overthrow them and you might find yourself opposing God. That was Gamaliel's warning to the Sanhedrin. So they took his advice. How far did they take it? Well, they bring the apostles back in and they beat them. (laughs) They literally had them beaten. Okay. And then they charge them not to speak in that name again. And they let them go. Now, again, remember in chapter four, when the apostles, I asked you to, to read that again on your own, but verses 25 through 30, the hymn of praise they pray after they had stood before the Sanhedrin and were told not to preach in Jesus name anymore. Now they've been beaten. And again, They don't go out saying, oh, that woe is me, that, oh, they just, how mean these people are and how hard-hearted they are and how opposed to God they are and they're not willing to listen. Do Do you notice they're not focusing on those people at all? Just like on Calvary, our Blessed Mother didn't focus on the Romans or the Jews or the people who are mocking her son or ridiculing him. She focused on her son totally focused on her son. We can look at the grounds people. We can look at the people around us and see how unfaithful they are. But you know what? That's all just an excuse not to examine myself and realize how unfaithful I am and how much I need to repent and believe the gospel. So they go away from the council rejoicing that they have been counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. How many of us, when we are persecuted, rejoice that we were willing, that we have been found worthy to suffer dishonor for the name? Do we consider it an honor? Do we consider it that we're worthy if we suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus? If people make fun of us, if they aren't friends with us, if they walk away from us, if you're going to follow Jesus, can't be my friend. That happens to people. 
believe me, if, if there's a Muslim who conver- converts to Christianity, th- their family will cut them off. And not only cut them off, many of their family members will try and kill them if they live in a Muslim country. So, And there are many Muslims converting to the faith, and at great price. They are giving up everything, family, friends, way of life, possibility of earning a living, absolutely everything to follow Christ fully. So they were glad to suffer dishonor. They considered it an honor to suffer dishonor. And they were in the, in the temple and they taught and they didn't cease preaching even though they were threatened and beaten and they're rejoicing. So we ask the Lord to give us this joy in the Lord, this joy of knowing him. And I hear that music and we're going to take another break. Thank you so much for joining us here on Bible with the Barbers. And we'll be back in just a few minutes with more. or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites the Terry and Jesse Show, and they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow, that's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US-1. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Well, welcome back, and Terry's not with me today, but um, I'm here, and um, we're on chapter 6 here of Acts of the Apostles, and 
again, we want to keep our focus on Jesus. No matter what's happening in the church and in the world, Jesus said, have courage, I have overcome the world. So the early Christian community, you know, the the idea that Jesus didn't establish a church doesn't really coincide with what we read in the scriptures. Jesus did establish a church. And that he gave to the apostles, he made them bishops, he gave to them the power to administer the sacraments. The, The purpose of the church is to bring the grace of God to us, to bring us into the family of God, through baptism, and then to nourish the life of God within us through the sacraments. So in chapter 6, we have this difficulty with the, um, the, the disciples were increasing, and there were Hellenists, and they began to murmur against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now what they're talking about here is within the, the, the Jewish community, you had the people who had um, more Greek influence in their lives. They were Jews, but had more Greek influence in their lives. They were Hellenists. Maybe they came from other parts of the, the known world at that time. And they spoke Greek. They read the Septuagint in their synagogues. And they had more Greek customs that they kept. Um, that anything that didn't oppose, wasn't opposed to the law of God. Whereas the Hebrews were those who, who, who had just the Hebrew background. Now, these people lived together in Palestine, the, the Hellenists and the Hebrews. They were living there. And as they became Christians, the difficulty was that it seemed like the, the Hebrew widows and orphans were getting um, taken care of before the Hellenists. So the Hellenists began to complain. And so the 12 apostles get together and they say, wait a minute, it's not right for us to neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. So the priestly ministry is a ministry of service, yes, but it's not a ministry of primarily social service, of waiting on tables and serving the poor. The priestly ministry is, this, is the ministry of the sacraments to bring the graces of God to the people and to bring the people to God through the Mass in prayer. So when the priest offers the Mass, he's acting in the person of Christ. And that doesn't mean Jesus wasn't concerned for the poor. You know, but, but the reality is that the priest, any of us can serve the poor. Lay people can. No lay person can bring about the Eucharist. No lay pe- person can absolve you from your sins. No deacon can bring about the Eucharist or absolve you from your sins. They don't have the fullness of the priesthood to do that. Okay, only a priest or a bishop can bring about the Eucharist or absolve us from our sins. <clears throat> The bishop is the ordinary minister of confirmation and holy orders. The only sacrament that the lay people administer on each other is marriage, and then the the husband and wife confer the sacrament on one another because marriage is about a covenant relationship that's being entered into where a man gives himself totally to his wife and the wife, the woman totally gives herself to her husband, and the two become one, but they're through this mutual exchange of personhood. So that's just a little sacramental theology. But... We need the official witness of the church for marriage because marriage affects the entire society and the entire church. And so it's not just a private thing between the two people getting married. Marriage is a social thing. The purpose of marriage is for love and life, for union and procreation. And the nature of marriage is such that it must be exclusive. Only one man and one woman. It, it must be for life unbreakable, 
and it must be open to children. That's how God made it. That's what God made it. God created marriage. Believe me, man didn't create marriage. There are lots of pagan ideas about marriage and have been ever since the beginning. And they're not God's ideas. So what did the apostles do? They said, we can't neglect preaching the gospel and administering the sacraments in order to wait on the tables. So they told the people, get together and pick out from among yourselves seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. And then we'll devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word, okay, to prayer, the, the liturgy. The, you know, this is Christ's prayer, the Paschal mystery. That's Christ's prayer. That's the Mass. Do we understand what the Mass is? This is the entire Paschal mystery of Christ represented to us in an unbloody manner at the altar. And it's Jesus who acts in and through the priest to make it present. And it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that this happens. That's prayer. It's the highest form of prayer because it's Christ's own prayer. All right. So the people got together and they prayed and they chose seven men. Stephen, a man filled with faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte, excuse me, a proselyte of Antioch. So Nicholas was from Antioch, and he had been a convert to Judaism. And so these they set before the apostles, and the apostles prayed, and they laid hands upon them. So this was the appointing of the, and, and we call them the, the, the original deacons, because they're given a ministry of service within the church. They are to serve the people, and they are to distribute the, um, everything that's collected everything that people bring to the church to be distributed to the poor, it will be the deacon's role to distribute this to the poor and so that the apostles can be free to preach the gospel and to carry out the liturgy. You know, the, um, in the, the Vatican II Council, the church made it very clear. Um, we're not just people of the book, okay? The Bible is the word of God, and it's inerrant, and it's, um, it's without error, and, and it is inspired, but it's not the only thing we rely on because we heard from the apostles that not everything that Jesus said and did was written down. And so we have the living tradition with a capital T and that living tradition is expressed. Much of it is expressed in the liturgy of the church. So we have the magisterium. That's the teaching office. We have the living tradition and we have the scriptures Okay, the scriptures aren't the only part of revelation. Jesus Christ himself is the word. He is the word of God. And this is if you read Dei Verbum, the Second Vatican Council document on the word. It's not speaking first and foremost about the scriptures, although a lot of it's about the scriptures and explaining what the scriptures are and what we believe. The word of God is the second person of the Blessed Trinity, the son of God who became man and lived among us. And so God's word is living and effective, not just First and foremost, because it's the second person of the Blessed Trinity, Jesus Christ. And also, his written word is living and effective. If we will read his written word, it can change us. 
But we have to open our minds and hearts to it. And we can't be looking out there and pointing at all those bad people out there. And God just come and wipe out all those bad people. If God comes and wipes out all the bad people, who's going to be left? Are any of us going to be left? I don't think so. We're all sinners. But you know what the good news is? Jesus came to save sinners. That's why he came. Don't pretend you're not a sinner. If we pretend we're not sinners, if we say, I don't have any sin, well, then you know what? Our sin remains. And, but we've cut ourselves off from our Savior because <laughs> Jesus came to save sinners. So I'm not saying go out and it's like Paul said, you know, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And Paul said, now don't tell them that I told you to go out and sin so that grace can abound all the more. No, that's not the point. <laughs> the point is we're all sinners. But Jesus came to save sinners, to save us from sin, to give us the grace to rise above our sinful nature You know, Paul talks about that war that takes place in my flesh where the good I want to do, I don't do, and the evil I don't want to do, I do. As a matter of fact, it's easier for me to do evil than it is for me to do good, and I can't do any good without God's help. I don't need the devil's help to do evil. I don't need anybody's help to do evil because I'm inclined toward evil. That's what original sin did. It It took away these special gifts that God gave us. So we're inclined to just live for the for the worldly things, for the flesh. No, we have to overcome our flesh by the grace of God. And so the apostles preach the word and administer the sacraments, prayer, the sacraments, the mass, and the sacraments, and the divine office. You know, the Hebrews prayed every day. They prayed the Psalms. And those are the prayers that Jesus prayed every day, the Psalms. And the Catholic Church still prays the Psalms every day. Every priest and religious has an obligation to pray what's called the divine office, which is part of the liturgy of the church, okay? The liturgy of the church, the mass, the sacraments, her liturgical observances, okay? And the liturgy of the hours, that's the divine office. Because the Jews prayed several times a day, and the Catholic Church continues that. Within the monasteries and priests, you're supposed to pray. They have an office of readings, morning prayer, three hours of midday prayer, evening prayer, and night prayer. Seven hours a day of prayer. But there aren't full hours. The, more, the office of reading is longer. That takes a longer time to pray. The morning prayer and evening prayer take about 15 to 20 minutes each. The uh, daytime hours take five to seven minutes, maybe 10. And then night prayer is, is also short. It takes five to seven minutes. But the idea was... The apostles must dedicate themselves to promoting the gospel and the sacraments and the liturgy that Jesus had established. You know, God had established a form of worship in the Old Testament. Did you ever wonder where the incense came from in our Catholic Mass? It didn't come from the Middle Ages because people weren't taking baths and they needed to cover up the stinky smell, or because when they buried people, they had to use incense to to cover up the smell of the rotting body. As a matter of fact, go read the Old Testament. Incense has always been used in the worship of God. It's proper to the worship of God. It's very expensive, and it's proper to the worship of God. That's where it comes from. The lighting of candles, where does it come from? The Old Testament. The liturgy of the Catholic faith came out of the liturgy that God had established for his people in a sense. There were many things that were provisional in the liturgy God established for his people in the Old Testament, but the Old Testament isn't done away with. Christianity is the fulfillment of Judaism. And 
Our liturgy is the fulfillment of what God was planning for his people. So that's the fulfillment. So the apostles needed to continue the liturgy and the preaching of the gospel, and they appointed the deacons to serve and wait on tables. And next week, please God, we will talk about St. Stephen. I have Bible study tonight here at the chapel from 7 to 9. This will be the last Tuesday night Bible study, by the way. This will be the last Tuesday night Bible study for this year. I'll start again in September. I'll begin again in September, for the, but summer break. So thank you for joining us at Bible with the Barbers. If you want to make a donation, call 877-526-2151. We'll be back again next week, and hopefully Terry will be with me. And um, I'm speaking this weekend at St. Gregory the Great in Whittier at a Marian conference and at the Catholic Home Educator Conference at St. John the Baptist in Costa Mesa. Thank you. Have a peaceful day. St. Faustina's Prayer for Priests O my Jesus, I beg thee on behalf of the whole Church, grant it love and the light of thy Spirit, and give power to the words of priests, so that hardened hearts might be brought to repentance and return to thee, O Lord. Lord, give us holy priests. Thou thyself maintain them in holiness. O divine and great High Priest, May the power of thy mercy accompany them everywhere and protect them from the devil's traps and snares, which are continually being set for the souls of priests. May the power of thy mercy, O Lord, shatter and bring to naught all that might tarnish the sanctity of priests. For thou canst do all things. Amen. Virgin Most Powerful, pray for us. Virgin Most Powerful Radio, sharing the gospel with clarity and charity.